something that sticks closer than a brother, and we have a living word that speaks into our life, that knows what we're going through, knows our, our hurts, our struggles, our pains, uh, and, and, and you know how to speak right to them, Lord, and to give us victory. Uh, and so I pray today, Lord, Lord, that you would give us an ear to hear what you would have to speak to us today, that we'd be sensitive to you, Lord, and, and open to, to your leading today, Lord, in your name. Amen. Last week, uh, we're in 1 Samuel 7 tonight, today, not tonight. I told you I had a cold. Last week we looked at the ark got captured. Uh, the Lord plagued the Philistines, and then they had a choice. What, what were they going to do? They were going to either continue to serve their dead God who was broken before the ark, or they could have served the one true living God. And they chose to push the ark out and not their Dagon's. And now we're going to take a look here in chapter 7. The ark is going to land in Kirjath-Jerim, and it's going to be here for 100 years. It says this in verse 1. Does this sound funny? It's just me. Funny, right? Hopefully that's better. I moved it down. That's usually a problem. Verse 1, it says, The men of Kirjath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. So the ark, as you, you guys probably know, it, it's meant to be in the tabernacle. And then it, it will get moved to the temple once Solomon uh, builds that. But it's meant to be in the tabernacle, right in the center, the, the holy of holies. And, and that's not where they put it. That's not where it goes. It, it goes to Abinadab's house, and he consecrated uh, his son, Eleazar, to keep the ark. And when I thought about that, I thought, man, even though it didn't go to its rightful place, probably the, the tabernacle was destroyed in the battle and when the ark was captured. Even though it didn't go to its rightful place. God is so willing to meet us right where we're at because this chapter is a chapter of repentance and revival. It's a chapter of repentance and revival, a place we can all be. And the ark's not where it should be, but you know what? God meets them right there. God meets them right where, where they're at. And, and I've, I've thought about this a lot over the, the, the last you know, several weeks, but at least this week I've shared it with several people. And I thought about Peter and his denial of the Lord. Like, he didn't know that that was in there. Peter had no idea that, that there was the potential of denying the Lord, right? It says this in Luke 22. Verse 31, he says, Simon, 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 indeed, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. And, and we need to know as a church, you're not immune to sifting. You're not immune to sifting. It wasn't just for Peter. It's for all of our lives. Trials, difficulties. The devil wants to see if you're actually going to follow the Lord. 
Satan has desired, he's asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. And Jesus doesn't say, well, but I'm going to keep you from that. Don't worry, Peter. He says, but I've prayed for you that your faith shouldn't fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Wait, and Peter's probably thinking, return to you, Lord. I'm not going anywhere. What are you talking about? I'm not going anywhere. And then here's what Peter says. He basically tells the Lord, Lord, you don't know me. You must not know me like, like, like you should know me. He says to him, Lord, I'm ready to, to go to prison and to death for you. I'm ready to, to, I'll go to jail. I'll actually die for you, Lord. But Peter has a blind spot in his life, and maybe you have one too. Something you don't know is there. Something that, that, that may surface during the sifting time. When the devil comes in, is like, oh, what about this temptation? What about this? What if that happens? Will you fall into that temptation, that sin? Will you walk away from the Lord if that happened? And he says, tells Peter that the, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you even know me. What? The, Lord, today? Well, how is it going to happen today? Like, you can't be faithful for one day, right? And you guys know the story. They end up in the garden, and Peter takes out the sword and lops off Malchus's ear. He is ready to die for the Lord. There's part of Peter. He's, he's brave. But then they end up in the judgment hall, and people are asking him, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter, over and over again, denies the Lord, denies the Lord. And then the cock crows, and Peter just weeps bitterly. And Peter doesn't just, all right, that's fine. Peter actually says, that's it, Lord. I can't do this anymore. I'm going fishing again. He goes out and gets a boat and some nets. And he goes on the Sea of Galilee, and he goes back fishing. Like, I didn't know I would do that, Lord. I didn't see that coming. And maybe some of the stuff in your life you didn't see coming. Maybe where you're at today, you didn't see it coming. You didn't know you were capable of doing what you're doing or having that behavior and walking in that sin. Maybe you didn't know. But thankfully, I look at Peter's this account for Peter. Jesus knew the whole time. Peter, I'm telling you, when you return to me, because you're gonna, when you come back, I have a great use for your life. Strengthen your brethren. Right? And then we meet him there. Peter's fishing, fishing. Just another one of those stories. Fishes all night, man. He doesn't catch anything. You guys remember the, the song? Uh, you know, I remember playing it for my kids. Fished all night and he didn't catch anything, right? Um, and there Jesus is, meets those guys. And he asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Peter's like, I like you, Lord. I can't even tell you that I love you. I like you. I do like you. All right, well, feed my lambs. And he asks him again, Peter, do you, do you love me? Lord, I like you. I really do like you. Like, you're a good friend of mine. Right? Well, feed my sheep. He says it again, same thing. 
And the amazing thing is, Jesus meets Peter right where he's at, right on the Sea of Galilee, in his brand new boat with new nets. And he doesn't love the Lord, he only likes him. But Jesus meets him right there. And that's what Jesus does for you and I. He saw it coming. He knows what you've done. He knows what you, you're capable of. He knows what you're going to do. And he meets us right where we're at. That's the amazing thing. Meets you right where you're at. And he'll ask you the same, would you love me? Lord, I like you. That's okay. I can work with that. I can work with like. You like me? Fine. I still have a job for you. Right? And that's where these guys are. The ark is not in its rightful place, not where it should be. But you know what? The Lord's going to meet him right there. And it's actually going to be here for a hundred years in this guy's house. A hundred years until David in 2 Samuel brings it to Jerusalem, its final destination. But up to this point, verse 2, it says, So it was that the ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. They were actually missing the Lord. They longed after the Lord. They were broken. Because God still has a plan for them. That's kind of where, 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 and this is probably around the time where Samson dies in the temple. The temple of Dagon. Where Samson, one day he's, he has this great victory against the Philistines, then the next day this great moral failure, then a great victory, then a great moral failure in his life, until finally his hair's cut, he's in this temple of Dagon, and, and, and it says, I don't know what it means, but literally it says that he's performing for them in this temple. What does that mean? How is he performing for them? But he's there, and he asks this young boy, hey, where's the pillars of the temple? I want to lean on it. And there Samson leans on the pillar, and it says he killed more in his death than he did in his life. Right? That's, that's, that's Samson's life. Unfortunately, kind of a sad ending to a guy that could have been so much. But he came back to the Lord, right? Right at the end. God is still faithful to them. But they're broken. They're lamenting. They miss the Lord. They long after him. And it says this in verse 3, and here's some key to revival. Verse 3 and 4. It says, And Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts. That's the first key. Returning to the Lord with your whole heart. Number one, returning. Right, and we've been—that's been the theme, kind of. Uh, I've shared that with you guys before. And uh, as Jesus writes the Church of Ephesus, remember and return. In Revelation, chapter two, and then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths from among you. That's number two: removing these foreign gods. So returning. Removing these foreign gods and prepare your hearts for the Lord. Get ready and see what God's going to do. 
Because when you do that, when you return to the Lord and you get rid of all these false gods in your life, man, God it wants to do something amazing with your life, in your life and through your life. Your sphere of, of influence. And that's what God wants to do with these people, his people. And serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. And that's the fourth key is serving God. Because the Bible says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God on Sunday mornings and then Baal Monday through Friday, which is the God of like uh, of, of weather. We're going to see that's what they put away here, one of the gods they put away along with Ashtaroth. He's the God of weather. He's the God of finance, money. He controls the weather and the crops. Monday through Friday, that's what I serve. And then Ashtaroth, that's the God of sex. That's what's taking down this nation. It's taking down the church. It's pornography. That's on Friday and Saturday nights. And then Sunday, I'm going to serve God again. The Bible says you can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. You can't. It's impossible. He says, you've got to put them away. And you guys probably, rem- probably remember this in John chapter 5. Jesus comes to the pool of Beth- uh, Bethesda, and there's a man there, and, and the pool was a pool that was a covered porch with water there. And, and it says that, that as an angel came and stirred up the water, the first one in would get healed. So all these sick people just... Everyone's sick and lame and paralyzed and blind and just just amazing sight probably to see. But the first one in would be healed. And he goes there and he sees a man that was there for 38 years, paralyzed. And many commentators believe he, he wasn't born paralyzed. This guy was born normal. But the condition he's in now, his paralyzed state, was because of an STD. That his sin took him out and put him in this paralytic condition. And and it says he's there for 38 years. And Jesus looks on this man, and then he asks him a question. I don't know if you guys remember the question Jesus asks him. If you can maybe think of a question... You might ask somebody in that position. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? What? Do I want to be healed? Don't you see who I'm around? Don't you see I'm by this pool? Yeah, I want to be healed. That's not what the guy says. The, the The question's kind of amazing, but the guy's answer's kind of amazing too. It's an excuse. The guy says, I don't have any friends. I don't have any help. I don't have any, you know, group of people that are going to help me into the pool. That's not the question. Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And all he has is excuses, right? Because the reality is people are paralyzed today in their sin. People are paralyzed today in what they're doing. And then you can ask them a question. Do you want to be healed? 
I, I don't know. Do you see a problem with my life? Yeah, man, you're blind. <laughs> you can't walk. There's a major problem. What do you mean? There's a massive problem in your life. I talk to people like that all the time. Hey, give me a call. Your, your life and, and, and where you're at today is the result of you walking away from the Lord. You want to talk to me? Not today. Okay, you want to keep going down that road, living by this pool, hoping you get better? You're not. You can't make it in. Thirty-eight years, he sits there. Do you want to get better? Not everyone does. People like their sin more than they like health. Kind of scary. So, but listen, the children of Israel respond because in verse three it says. If you return, if you return, it's always a choice. It, it, God wants to throw the ball in your court. He's not going to force you. But if you will return, put away your gods, get ready for what I'm going to do, and serve him only. It's your choice. It's my choice. So the children of Israel, verse 4, Put away the Baals and the Ashtaroths and serve the Lord only. Like I said, Ashtaroth is the god of sex, pornography, fertility is really what it was. I don't know if you remember the story of Balaam and Balak. Balak is the king of Moab. And he sees the children of Israel moving through his country. And he knows what's happened as Israel's moving through and taking over territory. And he, so, he, so, so Balak goes and gets this prophet Balaam and says, hey, I need you to prophesy against these people. I need you to curse them for me. And at first he doesn't go, and you can read the story, First he doesn't go, and then finally he goes. And he goes up, and he's looking at the children of Israel, ready to curse him, and all he can do is pronounce a blessing. And Balak's like, what, what are you doing? That's not what I wanted you to say. So he takes him up to another place, high overlook. Same thing, blesses him, blesses him. Nothing he can do but bless the children of God, because that's what God wants to do in your life and mine. He wants to bless us. So he knew that he couldn't curse him. So the Bible says that this is what he did. Balaam taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before Israel. He, he told him, listen, I can't curse these people, but God will curse them, and they'll be cursed if you send your women in, your daughters, and intermarry and mix them in. And then they'll begin to serve other gods, and God will take his hand of blessing off their life. And that's what, exactly what, he, what they did. That's why the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. You're going in two different directions. 
right? In marriage, in life, in business. That's what it means. And that's exactly what happened. They, they, he, he, they sent their daughters in and they began to intermarry and they began to grab onto these other gods. And, and, and this worship. And that's the stuff that they're pushing out now. Those gods that, that latched onto them. Put them away. You know, the Bible says, Jesus said this, you know, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. That seems pretty radical, doesn't it? Cut my hand off? What? Pluck my eye out? You're looking at something on your phone, on your computer. All right, I got to pluck. The problem is not with your eye or your hand, though. It's your heart. So you might pluck both your eyes out, but you still have a heart problem. But the Bible, what Jesus is saying is you got to get radical with sin. you got to destroy it. you gotta, you got to do something right away or it's going to destroy you. That's the whole point. you got to get radical with sin. And I've talked to people, their marriage is dissolving, this is going on, that, so many terrible things. Like, dude, you got to get rid of your phone. you got to get rid of this. you got to... Stop doing that. Oh, well, I can't live without a phone. You're about to lose everything. Your wife, your kids, your, you're afraid to lose your phone? Get a flip phone. Get a home phone. I don't know. We lived, I, that's all I had for years is a home phone, right? You guys don't remember those days, do you? Home phone. I had, uh, what do they call that, when, when uh, a party line, right, when I was growing up, answer the phone, oh, it's my neighbor's call, right? Dial the operator, my aunt would, was an operator, I talked to her, I need the number for this, right? And those days are over. Like, everyone has to have a phone. Super damaging, super dangerous, right? Our kids have access to so much. It's so dangerous. Super dangerous. Don't be ignorant. We have to get radical with sin and deal with it radically, or it will deal with you radically. We're going to take a look, look at that when we get to 1 Samuel 15 and the Amalekites. So verse 5, it says this. Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they, they gathered together in Mizpah, and they drew water, and they poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day, and they said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. They, they drew water, and they poured it out. I don't know, uh, I'm sure you guys have, you know, the five-second rule. You drop some food on the ground, you're like, all right, I can still eat that. At our house, you could. My, everything's so clean, right? Uh, so, but water, if you've ever had the experience where, man, you just got a Dunkin' Donuts or Tim Hortons, or, and there it spills on the floor of your truck, 
right? It's gone. Or, and it's worse when it's on the, on the ground. Then it's really gone, right? It's better on the ground than my truck, uh, right? But it's gone, and that's the idea. Once you pour water into the ground, it's permanent. There's no, no turning back. We've taken this water, and we've poured it out, and it's irreversible. It's an irreversible act. And that's the idea that this is commitment. What you're doing right now is you're making a commitment to God. There's no, we're pouring this out on the ground. You can't get it back. You can't get it back. And the trouble in the church today and with people today is they make a commitment. Things get hard in their life. And they want some change. They make a commitment and then things get easy and then they're gone. The, we went to a pastor's retreat this week and the theme was finishing well. And just bringing up different people that I have shared before, but, but uh, as, as Paul is, is bidding his farewell to Timothy, I've run my race, I've finished my course, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. And then he says, but Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas was a guy that was in ministry with Paul. Paul commended him. Paul called him a servant. All these different things. He was walking side by side with Paul. And then finally, his last note to Timothy is, Demas has forsaken me. He loves this world. He loves, can't serve two masters. He loves this world more than he loves Jesus. So he can't finish his course. If you love anything more than you love Jesus, you won't finish your course. Because it's all about love and what has your affection in this life. Right? What has your affection? What are you worshiping? What are you following? We're going to see that when we get to Saul, King Saul. He's a man that, that prophesies. He's a man that God puts his spirit inside of him. And he, he's a man that becomes rebellious and disobedient and walks away. If you've been someone that poured water on the ground, Lord, I want to follow you. Don't turn back. Don't turn back. And they fasted that day. Samuel prays for them. We're going to see that several times in this chapter. And I think a theme is prayer and fasting. You remember... The Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is up, up there. He's transfigured before a couple of the disciples. And then they come down off the mountain, and what do they find? A guy with a, his son who's demon-possessed. Bondage. Well, I always wonder, why, how do these kids get possessed? What are they involved in in their life? What are they doing? What is their mom and dad doing that the kids get possessed? Well, there's a dad with his son possessed, and the rest, of the rest of the disciples are there, and they can't cast this demon out. And so Jesus casts this demon out, 
And the disciples asked him privately, Lord, well, how come we couldn't do that? He says, these only come out by prayer and fasting. Well, if I would have known I was going to come up with a demoniac, maybe I would have pray, prayed. And the guy just brought him to us. But the idea is that's a lifestyle that you live. That there's times and seasons of your life where you're fasting. Do you guys do that? I don't know. Jesus, when he taught in Matthew chapter 5, says, when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast, when you pray, not if you pray, hopefully you all pray, right? That's, you know, unfortunately, prayer is one of those things. I talk to people that they can read their Bible for 12 hours. They can read books. They can read, but they can't pray like five minutes, that's it, right? The greatest revivals on planet, like Pentecost, the greatest revivals are birthed in prayer. Praying. There's great benefit. God uses them. He answers prayer, right? He aligns our heart. Somebody asked Charles Spurgeon, um, you know, what's more important, reading the Bible or praying? And he said, well, I think it was Spurgeon, he, says, he said, uh, it's like asking what's more important, breathing in or breathing out. Like, they're both very important. Reading the Bible and praying, it's vital. It's how you live. It's how you exist. Right? Isaiah 58, you guys probably know this. If you guys want to turn there with me for a second. Gives me time to take a drink. Isaiah 58, verse 6 says, Is this not the fast that I've chosen to loose bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? That's the design of a fast. And God wants to break through. He wants to free people from bondages and sin and heavy burdens. It's the, it's the fast that I've chosen. We could say a lot. We just don't have time to say a lot about prayer and fasting. Important part of your walk. Important part of your life. Should be as a believer. It says, The Philistines heard that the children of Israel gathered together at Mizpah, and the Lord of the Philistines went against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid. Big time difference. Instead of a big noise and shaking the earth, wanting to go grab the ark. This time they're afraid. This time they're not self-confident. They're worried. And it says this, So the children of Israel said to Samuel, verse 8, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Now it's dependent, dependence, not independence. God's never called us to walk this life alone. I love Isaiah 
and Matthew, they, they, one of Jesus' names is Emmanuel. That's God with us. That's what it means. God with us. He's walking this life with us. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it, offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, so he's got this big fire burning. It says, the Philistines drew near to the battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day, and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. So God is fighting for them, fighting for in the battle for them. I've got one more cross-reference for you guys. If you guys want to turn to Psalm 124 with me for a second. Uh, I, I, there's 15 psalms that are psalms of ascent, and I read one at uh, the men's breakfast a couple weeks ago. And, and psalms of ascent were when, it was when people would come into Jerusalem to celebrate one of the feasts, one of the three great feasts of Israel. And, and people would sing these songs, and it would remind them of what God has done. And, and David wrote a lot of them. And David, you know, they're looking. And, and he was just reminded of all that God had done. So he would write these different psalms. And then they would sing them on their journey in, right? And people would be heading in. But this is one of them, 124. It says, verse 1, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Then he says, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. When their wealth, when their wrath was kindled against us and the waters would have overwhelmed us, the stream would have gone over our soul and the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has given us as a prey, who has not given us as a prey in their teeth. Our soul is escaped as a bird from the snare of the followers. A snare is broken, and we have escaped. And then it says this in verse 8, Our help is in the name of the Lord. Sorry. Our help is in the name of the Lord, and it says this, Who made heaven and earth. That's the God who, who you know, he holds us in the palm of his hand. He made heaven and earth. That's our help. Right? You think you don't have any, anyone on your side today or anyone that can help you today? The one who made heaven and earth is on your side and cares about everything you're going through. The one who numbers your hairs, who sees when a sparrow falls to the ground, he cares about you and he cares about me. So back in Samuel, it says this, in verse 11, and the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as Bethkar. And Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. They're looking back on their life. They're saying, man, God has helped us. Even when we were far away from him, we see his hand on our life. And you remember 20 years earlier, there was a great defeat here at Ebenezer. 
30,000 men died. But God brings them right back to the same spot because he's the God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. That's what Ebenezer is. So they set up this stone as a reminder of God's victory and what he, what he did, right? And that's what, that's what he says in verse 3. Prepare your hearts for the Lord. Watch and see what God does. When you return to him, when you take away the gods, watch and see what I'll do. And that's what happens here. So they set up this stone to remind them of what God has done. I, hopefully you guys have some stones in your life, some, some stones of remem- remembrance, because that's what Ebenezer means. Hopefully you guys have had some things in your life that, man, I need to remember this, because we are so forgetful, aren't we? Like, God has done so many things, but if I don't write it down, Sometimes I'm like, yeah, all that, that's right. Lord, you did, had victory here. And, you know, so many different things. But we're so forgetful. Verse 13, it says, The Philistines were subdued, and they did not come anymore into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, And Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. And also there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Wouldn't it be nice to take some ground back in your life, in your mind, in your heart? That's what's, they're, they're getting territory back. They're gaining ground. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life and went year to year on a circuit. From Bethel, that's where Jacob set up a pillar, an Ebenezer kind of a thing there in Bethel, to Gilgal, uh, and that's, that's where, where they crossed the Jordan and they set the rocks in the Jordan and next to the Jordan. And Mizpah, that's where the Ebenezer stone is. So he's going from these great victories to great victories, reminders of what God has done, something we should be doing returning to those places, reminding ourselves of what God's done in our lives. Because you can look back at your life and say, man, Lord, I was this, this, and this, and I didn't die. I'm still here. And judged Israel in all those places, but he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. That's where, remember, his mom and dad lived there. And there he judged Israel. And listen, there he built an altar to the Lord. And, and that's a 50-mile circuit that he travels. And I've had people say, man, I love to do devotions for myself or with my family. I just I can't find the time. I'm like, dude, you have to find the time. Samuel found the time to have devotions with the Lord, and he's on this gigantic, he's not, you're not any busier than he was. He builds an altar there. He sacrifices. He takes the time to worship the Lord. You're that busy? You don't have time to get in your Bible? You don't have time to read to your kids? You don't have time to pour into your family and get poured into from the Lord? Everyone's busy. There's not a person here, if I asked them, you know, are you you busy? Everyone here is going to raise their hand, right? It's called carving out time for the most important things. Like, 
all right, I have to read. I have to want to spend time with the Lord. So I might not be able to do this. I might not be able to watch my favorite show today. Right? You have to do it. It's vital for your life. So Lord, we are just so thankful, God, for the the opportunity, Lord, that that we can uh, return to you, Lord. You meet us right where we're at. We can return to you, Lord, and and put away strange gods that are killing us. We need revival in our lives, Lord. We need revival in our nation, Lord. When we do that, we get to watch and see what you'll do with one person. So we give you our lives, we give you our time, Lord, and and we look forward to the victories in our life, Lord, taking back ground that you want to give us, that we've given over territory to the enemy. Galatians says the, the flesh is at war against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. The perennial enemies that, that Israel had in the Philistines, uh, they were subdued when they just returned to you, God. And that's what we want to do, Lord. Our flesh is wants to rise up and take over every day, Lord, and we don't want to let it. We want to walk in the Spirit. Uh, so we just we love you. We thank you so much for your word. It's alive, Lord, in your name.